Welcome to the No Meh Movies Podcast. How many times have you heard a movie is all right, it's average, it's just okay. If you ask your friend if you should see it and they say, meh, I'm Davey Barris, he's Darren Cross, and on this show we'll break down and review these movies and decide once and for all if these meh movies are good or bad, and whether or not you should watch them, because on this show there are no meh movies. Just to let you know a little bit about how the show works, the criteria for the movies that we pick, they must be between 40 and 60 on the tomato meter from Rotten Tomatoes, or they must be between a 4 and a 6 on IMDb, which leads us to the movie that we chose this week, which is The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, which scores a 56% on Rotten Tomatoes and scores 7.3 on IMDb. Now, a quick synopsis of The Life Aquatic in case it's been a long time since anyone has seen it. The Life Aquatic stars Bill Murray and is directed by Wes Anderson. It follows the crew of an oceanography boat uh, led by the famous Steve Zizou as uh, they are hunting a what he has named a jaguar, Jaeger shark, a jaguar shark, jaguar shark, jaguar shark. And uh, along the way, uh, added to his crew is possibly his estranged son, a reporter doing a story on him a business rival, a corporate stooge, <laughs> kind of get all thrown into his crew and they all go on this adventure together. And the reason we picked the movie this week, sometimes we try to time things up with movies being released in theaters. Sometimes we try to time things up with things going on in the world. We picked it this week because May 1st is Wes Anderson's birthday. So happy birthday to Wes Anderson. Happy and birthday. In, in honor of him, we are covering one of his meh movies, Life Aquatic. Now, I will say, before we continue, there will be spoilers ahead. So, yeah, fair warning, there will be spoilers for Life Aquatic. All right. That takes us to our first category. Darren, Life Aquatic, were you entertained? Mildly. Uh, so, I first, first off, I will say that it's been a long time since I've seen this, but I was surprised that a Wes Anderson movie was rated so mediocre. Um I don't know. It seems like everything he does is pretty, pretty solid. And so I kind of forgot about Life Aquatic. Um, I think in the end, overall, like it was a, a fairly entertaining story, but I found myself multiple times in like the middle or two thirds of the way through kind of being like checking my phone, like not like totally engaged. All right. Fair enough. It is the lowest rated uh, well, kind of the lowest rated directed movie by Wes Anderson. Yeah. Uh, Bottle Rocket does not have, which was his first movie, also starring Owen Wilson, uh, doesn't have a score on Rotten Tomatoes. So as far as movies he's directed, this is his lowest on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I think I was entertained. Yeah. I think I was really entertained. Um, the the crew, the the actual crew of the boat, I think kept me engaged enough. Yeah. Um, I loved all the little details that are going on in the background. Like, you know, watching, like they're constantly like working on a breaker box in the background or doing something or recording music in the sound booth. And yeah. I think uh, just paying attention to the Wes Anderson style, you know, seeing all the little quirks and intricacies of Wes Anderson kept me entertained throughout the movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's fair. As far as the actual comedy of the movie 
So we can move into our, our next category, which is does the movie do what it was supposed to do? Again, I think we're in a similar situation that we found ourselves in with the Hulk last week. Do you classify this movie as a comedy? I think it's supposed to be a comedy. Like I think it was sold as a comedy, but um, see, it's it's tough because Wes Anderson movies. We've talked about them before. That like you aren't necessarily gonna like bust up laughing at like the things that happen. They're all like very subtle, but. I think this, in my opinion, this movie kind of took that to the extreme. So there were a couple moments here and there that like were were pretty um, humorous, but like overall, like it, I, I feel like you could almost just just barely call it a comedy, like because it was fairly dramatic too at times. So I don't know, it's it's tough. Again, I think we find ourselves in a situation where I don't know if we can call this a straight comedy i don't think we can call anything wes anderson does a straight comedy right um obviously bill murray running across a boat with a nine millimeter and a speedo shooting at pirates <laughs> is comedic yeah yeah um the the witty dialogue uh especially between bill murray and owen wilson yeah is pretty comedic yeah i wouldn't call it an adventure movie either it feels more just a tribute to oceanographers or to Jacques Cousteau or like a love letter to explorers um, with with this comedic twist to it almost this I would call a send up a spoof of oceanographers can you spoof oceanographers I think he tried I think it kind of <laughs> and like I didn't the thing with with Wes Anderson, like every everything he does feels a little spoofy because, you know, all the his like scenery is often intentionally fake looking. You know, it's not obviously it's not an accident that the, like the underwater scenes like look very unrealistic. Like that's obviously intentional. And yeah. so he used stop motion animation for right. a lot of right. the underwater stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like it's like I kept wanting to be like. You know, is he, is this like a little bit of a spoof on like 20,000 leagues under the sea? You know, that sort of thing. Cause that, I mean, that's it's just a straight up like adventure. If you've ever read it, it's not f- funny at all. But um, going back to like, was it a comedy or not? In my mind, ha- putting a Southern accent on Owen Wilson makes him like le- much less funny. He's, he's much more dramatic, in my opinion, than his his tone with his regular voice when he says stuff is kind of just funny. But when you put a Southern accent on him, it turns to like a much more dramatic sound, I think. Cause it keeps his, it keeps his volume down. Yeah. Like we didn't have any of those good Owen Wilson, like, Hey, like flourishes, like yeah. up high kind of Owen Wilsonisms. Yeah. What are you talking about? Who's getting negative? Yeah. I, I was thinking about Owen Wilson's voice and it's part Southern drawl. It's part Kermit the Frog. <laughs> it's the Muppet Show with our special guest star, Miss Candace Bergen. And it's part something else. I'm not sure what that's something. That's something else is Owen Wilson, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, it, I don't think Owen Wilson can do accents. I don't think Owen Wilson should be doing accents. No, no. It was. Yeah, it was. That's the first one of the first things I thought of. I was like, this makes him sound a lot less funny. Like he sounds like this is a very dramatic role. <laughs> Let's see if Owen Wilson did... I'm trying to think if Owen Wilson did any other movies where he had a crazy accent like that. I kind of did a cowboy voice in the Shanghai Noon movies. <laughs> Not really. He was just talking like Owen Wilson. Um, 
Cars, he uses his own voice. Zoolander, he uses his own voice. Mm-hmm. Starsky and Hutch's own voice. Uh, yeah. Gonna say Owen Wilson. Just you already have an accent. It's called Owen Wilson accent. Yeah. Like, yeah, it is because it is unique. Like, I mean, you hear if you hear him like doing um voice acting, like it, you immediately know it's own. Like, there's no question it's Owen Wilson. Yeah. yeah. I thought William Defoe's voice, William Defoe could do an accent yeah. a little better. I mean, it was a little cheesy and comical, but right. But I think that was intentional. He did a good, like I guess, supposed to be German. German, yeah, yeah, yeah. just uniformly European yeah. accent. <laughs> which I guess this whole movie was kind of uniformly European, right? I guess it was filmed a lot in Italy. Um, and Wes Anderson was in an Italian phase, yeah, when they were coming up with this idea. All right, did you find yourself laughing? Not, I mean, not a lot, but that wasn't, again, that wasn't surprising with a Wes Anderson movie. Some of the dialogue from Bill Murray did make me laugh. Like, I could even feel the punchlines coming sometimes. Yeah. And it's still, the one line that got me, it had to have been improvised. I can't imagine this was written in the script. When Jeff Goldblum, uh, who plays his nemesis, Alistair Hennessy, when they're like on Hennessy's boat and he brings the three-legged dog over with him. And he's like, what's the dog's name? And he just looks at him for a long time and goes, Cody. (laughs) (laughs) They were just, Wes Anderson was like, just pick a dog's name. Whatever comes to mind at the time, go ahead. Go ahead, Bill. Do it. Yeah. that Something about the delivery of that just, that caught me. That cracked me up. Yeah, that's Um, a good. And I think that's um, part of what makes Wes Anderson's movies subtly funny is he, he works, either he or the actors or extras he hires do really well with timing stuff and that that's what makes it like subtly comical the whole way through yeah the pacing of the movie right. is very very well done all yeah. throughout so that moves us on to our next category and it's similar to what we were talking about did the actors bring it that's a tough question owen wilson i would say no he didn't do a bad job it was just very mediocre and, and maybe he executed exactly what Wes Anderson wanted him to, but to me it was sort of just like subdued Owen Wilson. I mean, he kind of plays the straight man that takes us in this world. Yeah. You know, I always think whenever I think of straight man, I always go back to Seinfeld. Like, clearly Seinfeld is not the funniest in that cast of characters. It's everybody around him. Yeah. So, you know, Owen Wilson is kind of being our Seinfeld here where, like, we experience the world as he experiences it. We learn things as he learns it. Yeah, that's a good point. So, um, I'm, I'm going to say, I think everyone in a Wes Anderson movie brings it. There's something about Wes Anderson that he just gets the the best out of people. And maybe it's just the style that he directs in. Um, I mean, Bill Murray is on fire pretty much the whole movie. Yeah. I thought the two women leads, Kate Blanchett and Angelica Houston, I thought they were great in every scene they did. Like when Angelica Houston uh kind of takes lead of everything you're like yeah that woman's in charge yeah she's definitely the leader there she's the brains of team zizu and uh kate blanchett playing this reporter that's lost in this whole lost in a world because she's got a baby with uh you know with a her lead editor who's married and she comes aboard this boat and is just kind of like drifting through life as she's drifting out of this boat um, I loved every scene she was in. I thought she played great off of Owen Wilson. I thought she played great off Bill Murray. Her reactions to everything happening were like never never too high, never too low, which always kind of 
played it comically because like i mean even when the pirates were there she didn't have this moment like freak out like i gotta leave or something like that she just kind of rolled with it like she rolled with everything else which was kind of funny it kind of let i feel like it let us as the audience be like okay then i'm gonna roll with whatever happens on this boat because clearly that's the journey we're on and i i feel like that is also a a wes anderson thing when you like what especially watching his other movies things that you would expect more extreme reactions from the characters never have extreme reactions they're very like just kind of like roll with the punches kind of people like that's his characters like i'm thinking of um grand budapest hotel like um when the piece of art they find out the piece of art is stolen it's not like a freak out it's like immediate like all right well we have to do this and this and this and this and like they go right yeah. so there there's no like intense emotional reaction even in like extreme situations yeah yeah they gotta go uh <laughs> bill murray insistent that they go rescue their stooge right doesn't get emotionally high on it just no Oh, yeah. We also have to go rescue the stooge. Right. So what's all we have to do? Yeah. It's just a matter of fact. <laughs> it was interesting that I don't know how much Kate Blanchett being pregnant contributed to her character. I feel like she could have just been like a weird lost soul reporter person. Um, I don't know. Like it, it's it, I guess it made her maybe like a little bit more like fragile to the to the crew and everything but like i don't i don't know how much it was interesting they're like oh well, she should probably be pregnant too in addition to being a uh, kind of wandering reporter so you know one of the themes that i picked up uh, one of the themes that's pretty obvious in this movie because it's kind of the central pl- one of the central plots of the movie is fatherhood right uh you know ned plimpton or kingsley uh as he's renamed <laughs> kingsley. <laughs> do you prefer ned or kingsley Definitely Kingsley. <laughs> so one of the one of the plots is obviously fatherhood, and I guess adding that pregnancy to it adds a layer to that theme. There was another oceanographer that was like the mentor to Steve Zizou, mm, the the English guy. Yeah, yeah. And then I mean that was almost you know played like a father son. Yeah, you know you kind of got the feeling that he looked up to him that way. Then you have Ned coming in, you know, claiming to be the son of Steve Zizou. So now you've got that dynamic. Now you have a baby on the way that's fatherless. So you've got another sort of fatherless character, you know, clinging for that's something. That's a good point. Maybe, yeah, that could, that's probably why. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. And then I also felt a little bit, I mean, there's probably a theme of motherhood too. With Angelica Houston's character, uh, you know, kind of feeling this like, it seemed to me like she was the mother of the ship. Like all of the male actors kind of looked at her with that, um, the way someone would look at a mother. Um, and then came Kate Blanchett becoming a new mother, you know, does she step into this role for the crew? Is she the new kind of mother figure for the crew? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're right. When, uh, Angelica Houston decides to not go on the journey, then, then I think she does sort of fill that role. There is, I think only one other female, on the ship with them the i think she the navigator yeah or something. uh Anne marie uh sakowitz Anne marie sakowitz is that played by robin cohen okay yeah so she's like the only other female on the ship um but she definitely doesn't take on that role so i do think that uh kate blanchett takes on that role when angelica houston decides not to come on the journey yeah 
Yeah, uh, Anne-Marie is definitely played as one of the guys, like one oh, of yeah. the crew. Oh, yeah. There's also another woman on the island who I, I, I might talk about in my nitpicks, but uh, the topless girl. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like... I, we'll get to that. We'll yeah, get to that when yeah. we get to the nitpicks. I want to give a shout-out to William Defoe. Yeah. Like, when you talk, I think he falls into the same class as Nick Nolte fell in last week, where is there some role that William Defoe doesn't bring it in. I mean, Boondock Saints, he's awesome in Boondock Saints. Yes. Playing that detective guy who's like, there was a firefight. Right, right. He was in Finding Nemo. Oh, that's right. He played Gil. He voiced Gil in Finding Nemo. Which one was Gil? Oh, which one was Gil? One of the ones in the... Uh, in the oh, oh, he's like the the leader of the pack of in the, in the, the fish that are in the aquarium at the dentist's office. Yes. Yeah. He's, yeah. Like, he's like the fish leader. He plays uh, the Green Goblin in the Spider-Man movies. He definitely commits to that. Yeah. Um, Platoon. Uh, he is pretty freaking crazy in Platoon. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, he brings it. Yeah. He brings it to everyone. I thought he was like another familial relationship, you know? he uh, Bill Murray, Steve Zizou says, you know we saw you as a younger brother. And then he says, I saw you as a father. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so there you go. You have another kind of familial, this father relationship. And I thought he played that like great. The way he like, the way he came around on Ned and like started treating Ned like a brother. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the whole A team B team thing. Like, <laughs> don't you get it? Yeah, you're right. It did feel very, very, um, familial because like he was jealous at first he's like what's the who's this new guy like i'm supposed to be the guy you know and so but then it kind of comes around after a while and the way they kind of are you know argue about whether or not they owe each other one like (laughs) he's like but you already gave me the warning he's like no i owed you one okay now i owe you one no now we're even (laughs) like that's the way two brothers would fight right yeah yeah all right uh and uh also on the cast i gotta give a shout out to jeff goldblum who again I'm not talking about brings it in everything that he's in. Uh, Jeff Goldblum as kind of his arch nemesis was kind of perfect. Yeah. Like yeah. every the smugness, the swarminess, the elite elitism, like everything about it was just incredibly entertaining. Yeah. It seems it seems to be that just Wes Anderson does a great job with selecting his cast. Like because it, it it never really feels like I mean, we, you know, we said a little bit here and there, like maybe Owen Wilson with his Southern accent was a little weird, but like for the most part, it doesn't really feel like any, anyone in his movies are, are like stretching themselves to something that they're not like made for. Like he always, they always seem to be in the right role for like the type of actor or actress they are. Yeah. And we've talked about this in the sort of the trivia sections before where like other actors were considered for the lead but you know, looking doing the research on this movie, it looks like a lot of these characters were written with someone in mind. Right. Like when they wrote Steve Zizou, they wrote it for Bill Murray. Nobody else was going to be Steve <laughs> Zizou but Bill Murray. And it's probably the same thing with Hennessy. It's probably the same thing with um, Eleanor, the Eleanor Zizou, Steve's wife. Like these characters were clearly written with somebody in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Wes Anderson has his players, so he knows he's got people kind of committed to his vision. Yeah. And people he can trust in these roles. All right. And the last actor I want to make sure we give a shout out to is uh, I'm going to make try to say his name right. I believe it's pronounced Sue Jorge, 
who was played uh, Pele de Pele dos Santos, the guitar player, the the pilot, the or not the well the ship pilot, yeah, uh, drive driving the boat. He was doing everything on that yeah. boat. That dude was all over getting wounded in the gunfight. Right, right. Uh, he has a much bigger music career than his acting career, but he has had some acting roles. Uh, he was fantastic. Yeah. And the music throughout, uh, I guess the choice to do David Bowie music was kind of a Wes Anderson thing. I think he has a thing for that, like, 60s and 70s kind yeah. of music. Uh, but even David Bowie said, like, when he heard the music and translated it into Portuguese, he was blown away. He David Bowie didn't know that his songs could sound like that. Yeah, it was, it was really beautiful because at first you're like, you know, it, I mean, I'm not a huge David Bowie fan, but I obviously know his popular songs. And so the, when he starts doing the first one, I, I'm like, wait, I recognize that. And then I started to put it together and I was like, whoa, that sounds awesome. <laughs> like I want to hear a whole album of this if possible. Yeah. If I remember when this came out in theaters, I, I feel like the reaction was to the movie was, meh, but the reaction to the music was that everyone was blown away by the music and yeah. the guitar playing. I'm going to say one other totally random cast member. All right. That, so I was, my, my wife and I were really for a while hooked on watching reruns of Criminal Minds. And one of the interns is played by Matthew Gray Gubbler, who's on, who ends, so this is, came out in 2004, Criminal Minds started in 2005. He was the one intern that like decided not to leave the ship. Like he's like, no, I'm going to stay on and do stuff. Um, so I don't know. It was funny seeing him. Like he had, I think he had two lines, but he has a very distinct look. He always has like frizzy, kind of crazy hair. I believe, based on the trivia on IMDb, uh, Matthew Gray Gubbler was who played intern number one. Was also the co-writer and director of Wes Anderson's intern in real life. Ah. So yeah, so he was kind of nice. studying under Wes Anderson That's in awesome. real life. That's great. Yeah. We're moving on to successes and failures. Where does the movie succeed and where does the movie fail? Because the end up is a meh movie. You probably got a little of both. So I'm definitely going to say that uh, the movie succeeds in being a Wes Anderson movie. We've talked about it a little bit. Uh, the symmetry of all the shots and the staging of the shots, uh, the color palette. These are all Wes Anderson trademarks, and they all very much succeed in this movie. Yeah. Every when the movie opens, the opening shot of the theater uh, is perfectly symmetrical. Uh, you got the guy, the the guy announcing the movie, standing right down the middle, and you're you instantly feel like, okay, it's Wes Anderson time. All right, I'm stepping into Wes Anderson's world. I've got this perfectly symmetrical stage, this perfectly symmetrical theater. I am, you know, I am in this world and ready to go. When the the movie starts, when it's when they're still showing it, just like in the the square kind of when you're still in the theater that the people are watching in, you know, like even before it comes, you're like, this is gonna look like a home movie from the '60s, and sure it does. It looks like a home movie from the '60s. You just know it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, there were a couple of choices uh, made throughout the movie, which I doubt I'll ever get to meet Wes Anderson. But if I ever do, I'd love to ask him about because the scene where he goes. Uh, to get uh, Angelica, Angelica Houston's character, Eleanor, from uh, that villa, they sit down and they have a conversation, and it's not filmed symmetrically. Angelica Houston is set to the right, and Bill Murray is set to the left, which is 
kind of strange because you think they would be uh, kind of opposite diagonal from each other, but they're not. You know, most of the time when you shoot someone in a conversation like that, you give them nose room, right? You give them room to where they're talking. Uh, but Bill Murray was set in the opposite side of the frame. He was set, you know, closer to the edge talking with all this room behind him. So I'd love to talk to Wes Anderson because that was the one time in the movie where it was it was very obvious that we weren't shooting things symmetrically all of a sudden. Yeah. So I'd love to ask him about that choice and find out why for that scene. Was there something about that scene that he wanted to be off a little bit? Yeah. Um, hmm. The other thing is that uh, someone doing a little research, reading some articles about symmetry, and uh, there are tons of articles, I'm sure, and videos about Wes Anderson's style if you want to go out and read. So I'm not going to go too much deeper into this, but... One of the things from openculture.com, I was reading, a, you know, they were kind of doing an article about Wes Anderson and saying that directors are taught in film school to avoid symmetry as it feels stagey, which is kind of the opposite of what Wes Anderson goes for. He almost wants it to feel stagey. It almost feels more of a theater performance than it does a movie. Yeah. And uh, you get that again with the boat. Like they, So the actual stage of the boat they make it very obvious to you. They do those big sweeping shots where they move through the boat. And they don't lie to you that this is a soundstage. This is a giant, I think it was like 140 feet long, set on a soundstage where we're filming these scenes, where we're filming these boat interior scenes. So, yeah. So, I loved, I love that style of Wes Anderson, being in that Wes Anderson world. So, that was a huge success for me. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, it seems like cover... However, his career developed, he just made the decision. He's like, you know what? I'm going to focus more on the character development and the story. And rather than like just do okay at the scenery or pay a ton of money to make everything look very realistic, I'll manage to intentionally make things unrealistic. And that'll be unique. And he's absolutely, you know, obviously his style is super unique. Yeah. I guess you could say that too with the stop motion animation, right? Instead of getting a real you know filming real fish swimming or something like that um i couldn't tell if the dolphins if they were real or not and and the sea turtle yeah i don't know they They did a pretty good job of the the animation the most realistic looking animals of of the all the animals yeah yeah clearly that whole stop ocean animation is a passion of his yeah because he goes on to do fantastic mr fox he goes on to do isle of dogs which are both stop animation movies so Clearly, this is the beginnings of a passion for him that he can incorporate and that fits his motifs of the color palette. He can control the color palette even more. He can control the symmetry even more uh, doing it that style. Another success for me is, and a lot of my successes have to do with kind of the way we're introduced to the world, um, opening on part one of the documentary that's already been filmed is a very smart way to introduce us to a lot of characters that makes sense in in the story of the you know in the world that we're in. Mm-hmm. Like if they would have done an interlude where they're just like walking around the boat and introducing characters in a normal movie, you'd be like, all right, you know, like could you figure a way to fit this into the plot or something <laughs> like that? Like come on. But do opening on that documentary and allowing them to introduce you to Klaus, introduce you to Pele, introduce you to Vladimir, introduce you to Vikram. Like by doing it in that documentary style, all of a sudden, like, I instantly know who every character is. Like, I'm all on board. I feel like I know this crew. I know Vikram's running camera. I know that uh, Vladimir is the chef, but also the tech guy. I don't know. He's making a cake. Um, I know multi-talented. I know all the jobs that Pele does. Like, I'm like, all right, I know this crew. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was a great, uh, great way to do that. One of the successes that I noticed that I liked, Wes Anderson makes it easy to like buy into his world. And so you you get into the movie not too far and all of a sudden you like have this realization. You're like, wait a minute. Are there like all these like competing nautical explorers? Is this a whole world that exists that I'm just unaware of? At one point you're in the, um, I don't think we said his name, the guy that plays the, the older English gentleman. Yeah, the older English gentleman who's sort of the financier is played by Michael Gambone. It's okay. uh, Osrey Dracolius. <laughs> so when they go, yeah, when they go, like there's a scene where they go into Osrey's, uh, I guess it's his house or business. And so that. Yeah, I think his offices. His offices, yeah. So that feels like that's, and it's very fancy looking. And so you're like, oh, there's this whole world that he's been, lives in, and he was able to fund this whole beautiful office off of paying for nautical exploration and then obviously you have jeff goldblum's ship and his whole story and so like you really pulled into like oh is there like these people just competing for for nautical exploration fame and so i thought that was kind of a success all right i'm gonna try to find it the explorers club Mm. that's what it's referred to the explorers club with the idea of, of of the name of, of those sorts of things that's i guess you could even say that's another success and i think it's across wes anderson movies is that he makes up the names of places but they sound very official while also sounding kind of goofy at the same time so everything kind of has a very specific name so like the ship has a name and his um they're like home base the zisu home base has a name and that place has a name, the financing place. So everything has like very official sounding names, but they're also, you're like, it sounds a little funny. It's a little goofy. So I'll give you a fun fact. I'll give you a pre a teaser for trivia. Yeah. Um, a lot of those names came from where him and his writing partner, I guess, used to meet at an Italian restaurant okay. to work on the names yeah. or to work on the script. And a lot of the names that we see in the movie come from things in the restaurant. So like the name of something might be a dish on the menu or it might be the name of a waiter and waitress or something around them. Yeah. So that's where a lot of the names come from. All right. uh, So another success for me is uh, we've already talked about it at length, but the father and son relationship or the the parent to child relationship that runs throughout the movie. I'm going to call that definitely put that in my success column. Yeah. Uh, I again thought Klaus's emotional journey like just i love klaus's emotional journey i thought that was a great like you know def plot that's happening throughout the movie <laughs> uh i yeah the scene at the end where he finally like forgives ned or or has his coming together moment with ned before they fly off in the helicopter i was like yeah we made it all right klaus <laughs> good for you one um and maybe this would this is better to save for like nit picking stuff but one failure that i had and maybe i just like didn't pick up on it but there was a reference at one point by angelica houston about uh steve shooting blanks so not being able to impregnate people yeah but then that's never really explored again like it's whether it's is he his son or not and i I think in the end the, the i think the 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 message is it doesn't matter but it like she says it and they're like, oh, yeah, hmm. And then it never really comes around again. I mean, that might have just been for us. Yeah. So I think we have to give a spoiler warning here. 
Uh, so if you haven't seen the movie yet, we're going to ruin a big part of the ending for you. <laughs> uh, so here's your spoiler warning. But Ned dies in the helicopter crash. Yep. And uh, maybe he felt like he needed to give the audience a little bit of closure on the storyline or to show you uh, what kind of person Steve is deep down inside. The fact that, uh, you know, Eleanor knew that Angelica Houston's character, Eleanor knew that wasn't his son. But the fact that he says to her, like, you know, I thought we were going to, I thought maybe we would adopt him. Yeah. And she's like, he's 30 years old. <laughs> it's like, I know. It would have been nice. I guess, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. That, that that may have been why. I guess in my, in my mind, when I heard that, I immediately went to like, oh, does Ned have an ulterior motive? Like, is he, is he like going to like sabotage the ship or sabotage the whole company? Like that's what came to my mind immediately. And then, so when nothing else came or was brought up about that, I was like, oh, well what's happening? But the way you described it, maybe that's the reason that they put it in there. Yeah. And I, I could say a little bit for Ned too, where, uh, clearly this is someone that he looked up to his entire life. He still had the childhood ring, which I'm going to get to one of my nitpicks now. How does that ring fit an 11-year-old child's finger, but then also fit an adult Owen Wilson's finger, but then also fit a young Italian boy's finger at the end of the movie? <laughs> they got it resized multiple times. <laughs> uh, so he's clearly carrying around this ring and idolizes Bill Murray. Even Kate Blanchett's character, uh, Jane, says that she kind of idolized him mm-hmm. like growing up. She had his poster on the wall. So uh, maybe it lends a little more credence that Owen Wilson was just searching for a father figure, especially after his his mom passes away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so maybe even Owen Wilson knows that this guy isn't his father, but he grew up wishing that Steve Zizou was his father. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. All right. Uh, do you have any failures? I have that one. Like, and, and maybe that's just a quasi-failure. I did find myself at times bored like i would just like i know like the understand the pace of a wes anderson movie it's not gonna be like action-packed you know and that's not the point of of his movies at least until they got to the point where they actually were on the voyage to try to find the jaguar shark i felt myself like kind of bored it does move slow yeah and you know wes anderson has a tendency some move slower than others yeah I will say, I remember back in 2004, I don't know if I saw it in theaters or if I saw it, you know, released afterwards, but I definitely saw this back then and feeling, you know, like, oh man, that was a boring movie. Like I went in expecting a Bill Murray movie. Yeah. And I think that's because Bill Murray is kind of in a transition in his acting in the early 2000s and you have... Uh, I wouldn't say coming off because he really doesn't have like a big like gut busting performance since like Space Jam in 1996 yeah. where he's like full on 80s Bill as you remember him and then yeah. Kingpin was also in 1996 which again gut busting over the top Bill Murray um, you got Groundhog's Day in 93 what about Bob in 91 so you've kind of got up through the mid 90s you've got this kind of gut busting over the top Bill Murray yeah uh, he does rush more in 98 with Wes Anderson. Uh, he does a few more things. He does like a Charlie's Angels movie where he plays Bosley. Uh, Royal Tenenbaum. So now he's kind of getting into this Wes Anderson mode. In 2003, he does Lost in Translation, mm. which I remember everyone being like, whoa, 
where did serious Bill Murray come from? Right. Yeah. And he actually had to leave the filming of Life Aquatic a couple times to like accept awards to go to award shows uh, for Lost in Translation for the award. He won some awards for that. And so I think when you get to the Life Aquatic, I remember thinking like, oh, I'm going to a Bill Murray movie. Yeah. You know, I maybe we didn't know Wes Anderson as well as we know him now. So, uh, but I remember being a let's see in 2004. I'm like a you know I'm a college kid and I'm expecting a Bill Murray movie, and instead I get a Wes Anderson movie or I get a different Bill Murray. I get yeah. a Bill Murray who's transitioning in life to a different style. Yeah. And uh, so I think that kind of throws people off a little bit on this movie. Yeah. It's like a little jarring from what you would expect. Yeah. Yeah. You have to remember there's two phases to Bill Murray. Both funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He he definitely proved that he could do serious too and and execute it well. Yeah. I think a lot of comedic actors kind of go through that. Like look at Steve Carell now. Like Steve Carell is just crushing into dramatic roles now. He's yeah. getting nominated for Oscars and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and when yeah, I mean, what was it, a wrestling movie he was in? That was intense. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was on the one about the housing market crash, uh, oh, The Big uh, Short. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you go back and look at like early Steve Carell coming out of like Second City and being on the Dana Carvey show, which if anyone <laughs> has a chance to go back and watch the documentary on the Dana Carvey show, I highly recommend it. You will not believe the cast of characters they had on that. But anyways, you see that like goofy guy and all of a sudden now he's this like super dramatic actor. So yeah. I think a lot of actors kind of make that transition from comedy to more dramatic roles. Yeah. Any other failures on your part? Yeah. Uh, so another failure for me is going to be the pirate gunfight scene. I, d- <laughs> I don't think Wes Anderson should really be directing action movies. No. Like, I don't think he's going to direct Fast and Furious like 10 or 11, you know? <laughs> Can you imagine if all, if all the cars were like fake? and like <laughs> They're just like being pushed around. <laughs> <laughs> and like fake flames coming out of the back. <laughs> oh my god! That now I kind of do want to see Wes Anderson <laughs> yeah. do a Fast Wes and Furious. Wes Anderson, movie. if you're listening, if you just want to do like a short, like a five ten minute Fast and Furious, <laughs> I would watch it. <laughs> um, it was comedic to watch Bill Murray again, like we said, waving around a gun in a speedo, shooting at pirates. Uh, I don't know who was shooting at what. Like things were exploding. I don't know what explosions <laughs> were from. I don't know if it's supposed to be the bullets ricocheting off the metal. Um, he, uh, I don't know how many shots he gets off from that gun. I think he probably fires like 20 to 25 shots out of <laughs> that a, one hand gun. Clip, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and then again, the, the pirate fight, the second pirate fight is a little bit, we don't really see as much. Right. Um, they're just they kind of running away. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I don't think, uh, action movies are probably up Wes Anderson's, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, because I mean, even in the, his other stuff, there might be like a gunshot, or there might be some some sort of like violence, if you will. But it tends to be like half a second long. Like it'd be like a single gunshot, or it'll be like a single like stabbing or something like that. It's not like a full on like scene of like back and forth. And he, I will say, he does use it for good comedic effect to break the seriousness of i guess of the scene yeah so it, it was used for good comedic timing but the yeah. actual directing of it was so 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 i think that i think that kind of covers it for me for failures yeah. um same that's everything i had yeah i i gotta say i 
maybe if you have critiques of Wes Anderson's style in general, then maybe you would see that as a, you know, you could find some more failures in it. But I think we both really enjoy his style. Yeah. So I don't think we're going to find many failures. No. Moving on to a favorite segment of mine. It's time to take a look at what the critics said. Nice. What do you want to start with this week? Do you want to start with the positive reviews or the rotten reviews? Is there anyone from the Observer this week? Is there anyone from the Observer? <laughs> we will find out. The, ob- <laughs> the Observer that we don't know. I'm not seeing any Observers Aww. here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start with the negative. All right. We're going to start with the rotten reviews according to Rotten Tomatoes. Joe Morgenstern from the Wall Street Journal is going to start us off here. He said, like the jaguar shark, the life aquatic is hard to get a hook into. He probably agrees with what I said when we first started about like, were you entertained? I do think that it's um, it's a combination of things. One, it's Wes Anderson's style. Like I think for some people, either you like it or you don't. I don't think there's people that are like, meh. you know, they're, they're not very meh about it. Um, usually Wes Anderson, either you like it or you don't. Um, but also it is true that the story moves a little slow. So like you, especially, like I said, until you get to, they're actually on the ship trying to find the shark. Um, I could see someone being a little, not fully entertained. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I gotta say that, uh, I'm going to take, I'm going to take exception to the phrase hard to get a hook into. And this kind of goes back to one of the successes that I had with the movie, which was the way the movie opens, you know, the way they established the Wes Anderson world with the framing and the symmetry, the way they established the documentary and introduce you to all the characters. I think this movie actually does an excellent job of allowing you to get your hook into it and allowing you to settle into this world and go along on this journey. Okay. Yeah. So I disagree with you, Joe Morgenstern. <laughs> all right. Moving on. Let's find some more fun rotten reviews. <laughs> This is a strange review from Stephen Hunter of the Washington Post. One of his rotten reviews, he says, There's nothing wrong with Wes Anderson's The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou that a digital insertion of Gene Hackman wouldn't solve. (laughs) What? Is he he making reference to, like, Hunt for Red October? I think the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, I I forgot he's in there. He plays the patriarch of the Royal Tenenbaums. Did you feel like anything was missing in this cast? Did you feel like something was lacking in the cast of this movie? No, and I don't know what what role would he play in this movie that would add to it? Like, I don't, I, I don't know. He wouldn't have been a good Steve Zizou. No. I can tell you that. No, I would have been a much different. Yeah, was Gene Hackman in a submarine movie? No, he was in. Uh, he was. What's the one with uh, Denzel? Denzel Washington? It's not Hunt for October. It's, no, it's uh, not. It's um, hang on. Let's see if Darren can think of it before I can IMDb it. <laughs> it's uh, it's the one where they like almost go to nuclear war, but then they don't. It's one of my favorite submarine movies of it's, all time. Oh yeah, it's really good. They get like the half completed message, and so they don't know if they should execute or not. Uh, Crimson Tide. Ah. IMDb wins. Nice. Oh, man, that is, if anyone wants to see a great 90s action submarine movie, yeah, Crimson Tide is one of my favorites. Yeah. Just because we'll never review it on this show, I'm going to say one thing about it is that it's like, it's in a submarine the whole time, and so it's all very dimly lit. There's a lot of red lights on people all the time, so it's like really cool atmosphere that not whoever the director is that sets it up. Yeah. 
Um, a slightly different aesthetic than a Wes Anderson a movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I don't think we need Gene Hackman. I thought this cast was great. I loved, I loved the way the cast was put together. And Bill yeah. Murray as the lead was perfect. Maybe that guy just loves Gene Hackman. He Maybe put him in everything. <laughs> All right. This is from Jason Blake from the Sydney Morning Herald. His rotten review says there's precious little humanity on display and Steve Zizou is nowhere near as compelling a character as his similarly downbeat Bob Harris in Lost in Translation. Do you agree that there's little humanity on display? I don't I don't know where he's taking that from. I th- I think there's a lot of No, I think there's a lot. I think it's like a it's humanity like from a repressed kind of uh, weird time in your life humanity. So right, so you have characters that are going through interesting times in their life. So like the so Steve lost his best friend Esteban. Esteban. Um, Ned lost his mother. Um, what? Sorry, what's uh? Kate Blanchett's name in the movie. Kate Blanchett's name in the movie is Jane. Jane Winslet Richardson. Jane um, is pregnant from a married guy, and so like she's gonna have a baby, but not really know what her family is gonna look like, or doesn't have a father figure. Which is, you know, maybe she's not worried about it, but it's still got to be a tense time. Um. So yeah, so I think there's a lot of humanity in it. I don't think it's necessarily like punching you in the face to be like, "Hey, look at me," but it, it's 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 definitely there. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And I think that uh, you know, the comparison to uh his character in Lost in Translation, like, yeah, Lost in Translation is an award-winning performance with this uh with this character, but he's not being asked to do the same thing here. He's asking to kind of balance that humanity with comedy. Right. And he's being asked to play a narcissistic, egotistical person who's afraid of all these things. He's afraid of fatherhood a little bit. He's afraid of becoming a failure or his career passing him by. So, yeah, I thought there was a lot of humanity. Uh, One of the lines that I loved, I believe Steve Zizou says, I hate fathers and I never wanted to be one. Yeah. Which I actually made me wonder, like, does Wes Anderson maybe hate fathers <laughs> because if you look, I mean with Rushmore Royal Tenenbaums leading into this, like there are a lot of themes about bad fathers. Yeah. And I know that he comes from a, a, a separated home. His yeah. parents did get divorced when he was younger. So I, I don't really know what effect that had on his life, but clearly that must've had some kind of effect on his life to make him do movies like this with themes like this, um, of loss of sibling rivalry. Uh, he has brothers, and so uh, I feel like there's a little bit of Wes Anderson in the character of Steve Zizou as far as his views on fatherhood. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's um, back to his review. I don't think it's really fair to be like, you know, Wes Anderson didn't ask Bill Murray. He's like, oh, you know, the role you played in Lost in Translation. Can you just do that in my movie? Like, that's not what was being asked yeah. of him. Yeah. All right. Moving on to another rotten review. So Moira McDonald from the Seattle Times said, ultimately, it's hard to connect with these odd, distant people. And though the film has an ending that finds some grace, it's too little, too late. If you've ever seen a Wes Anderson people, everyone in that mo- in his movies are odd. That's kind of like the theme. Like they're all like a little quirky, kind of strange folks. Um, so that's just sort of what he does. And then... Um, 
again, like the connection, I, I think is actually pretty easy. I mean, I think it's pretty easy to make a connection with these people. They're like fairly traumatic things that have happened to them recently. And so they're like trying to like figure themselves out. Yeah. I think, I mean, we might not be going through the same things they're going, but we're both, we're all trying to figure ourselves out. Yeah. So yeah, I think these characters are, I agree. Uh, somewhat easy to connect with. All right. Uh, want to go positive now? no 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 i got more for you <laughs> uh from roger moore from the orlando sentinel a rotten review the whimsy feels forced and murray is the only player allowed to hunt for laughs more gold bloom would have helped wilson acts overshadowed the foe has too little screen time and blanchette is only a middling straight man that's a lot that's a lot to take in, in there <laughs> i'm gonna say uh the whimsy does not feel forced. Everything Wes Anderson does feels whimsical. Yeah. Like, I, it was beautifully done. Um, that's one of the reasons people keep coming back to his world is the whimsy that he creates through his color, through his pacing, through his, you know, his stop motion animation in there. Um, yeah, I mean, may, you could maybe make an argument that it's he executes it or it's more in your face in other movies that he did, but it's certainly there. Like there's no question. It's <laughs> now I will agree with Roger Moore that more Goldblum would have helped. I think we can say in general, a good life rule is that more Goldblum would help. <laughs> Whatever he's doing, just more. <laughs> yeah. I just started watching the newest Jurassic park movie and it yeah, could have used more Goldblum. Um, and then I don't think Defoe has too little screen time. I think actually think Defoe had the perfect amount of screen time. Like any more Klaus would have been a little too much. <laughs> yeah, like the the it was it was enough that you believed his relationship with Steve. You believed the relationship that he developed with Ned over time. Um Yeah, yeah, it was like it was it was enough that you were convinced by the the, the relationships between the characters. I don't think that was lost. All right, so moving on to uh, some of the fresh reviews. Because uh, basically the Rotten Reviews pretty much follow the rest of those themes. This will be a good bridge for us because I'm not sure this is actually a fresh review. <laughs> uh, it's listed as a fresh review from Christy Lemire from the Associated Press. She says, like the film's fake fish, the life aquatic is endlessly fascinating to watch. But if you look closer, there's not much there. Did you feel like this whole movie was just on the surface? No. I mean, I think if you didn't really pay attention or get it, then yeah. But, I mean, I think there was a lot going on. Yeah, we get it. You got some, like, stop-motion fish, and, you know, it's really <laughs> colorful, whatever. Yeah, we get it. You lost your best friend. Your mom died. Whatever. Move yeah. on. <laughs> Come on. Give us some real problems that we can, you know, relate to. <laughs> is that is that a fresh review? I don't know. It sounds kind of rotten. Yeah. All right, moving on to some other fresh reviews. This is from Jessica Winter from Time Out. She says, The director magically conjures emotional dividends in the film's invigorating last moments, which wordlessly celebrate an underrated and truly Andersonian virtue, solidarity. Okay, so... That is a meaty review. There's a lot. There's a lot to break down there. So the... I'll I'll start with the end of it. So the solidarity thing, I guess she's saying that that despite all the 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 issues that they may have had with each other, this them being the crew, um, at the end when they see the shark that they were the whole which is the whole point of the whole journey, they're kind of all brought back together 
and understand that like this was the point. You know, they all not not only Steve lost his friend, but I'm sure the other crew had relationships with this guy as well. And so I think it was kind of all it came back to them like they understood what the whole point of the journey was when they saw the fish. That's interesting. For some reason, the last moment that sticks out in my mind is them all like that kind of slow walk down the dock together where everybody's kind of coming in a frame together. And, uh, you know, I thought that was kind of an invigorating moment, like knowing that whatever happens, like our crew is going to stay together. Yeah. Uh, You know, and they have solidarity that way. But I agree that the scene seeing the fish in the sub uh, in the sub. Yeah. Yeah. uh, All kind of reaching out and touching Steve. Yeah. Steve finally like has like a truly like kind of a breakdown sort of if you will like an intense emotional moment. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think he's supposed to be feeling in that moment? Is it is it that like this is what my career was supposed to be? I don't know. I think it's a I think it's a multitude of emotions. I think it's I think he knew in the even when he so in the early on in the movie they're like so what are you gonna do when you find this fish and, which was that was a very funny party <laughs> what I'm gonna kill it <laughs> for what reason revenge <laughs> revenge that was one of those jokes where I was like that was the one I was thinking of where I was like I see the punchline coming yeah still funny still funny right <laughs> I think he knew in the back of his mind that you know he he's been doing this his whole life that he would never actually intentionally hurt a creature probably. And so he knew in the back of his mind, he wasn't going to kill it, but it's almost like, um, there's some sort of closure you get. Um, like if, you know, if somebody, I don't know, killed your wife or something like that. Right. So like there's some sort of, even if it's like emotional, there's closure you get for like meeting that person, right. That would be some sort of closure, whether you would forgive them or don't forgive them. So I think he was definitely feeling that. So invigorating last moments. Yeah. All right. Um, I, w- talking about solidarity, I also picked up on something with uh, Angelica Houston's character, Eleanor, who is Steve's estranged wife, but also used to be married to Hennessy, Jeff Goldblum's character. And you know, she's playing solitaire twice in the movie. Uh, once before they're about to leave which is a very comedic moment when the lights go out and Steve Zizou turns around and he's like something about like the black Jack on the red queen or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like yeah. pointing out something she hasn't seen, um, which might play a little bit more into the dynamic that she's not all the brains of the operation. Steve's got, Steve's got a little <laughs> brains too. Every once in a while. Every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then at the end, after we lose Ned, she's again, she's playing solitaire. And I don't know if this states to her character that she like, she may have been married to Hennessy before. She may technically be married to Zizu now, but she's very much her own person. Yeah. And she's going to be her own person on this journey in life, no matter what happens with these two very egotistical men that have that have been connected to her at different times in her life. Yeah, that's fair. And and you do get hints throughout the movie that like the, the reason that these men can do, at least Steve definitely can do some of the things they do is because of her slash her family. So she's kind of like, it kind of, I guess it goes back to her like being the one sort of in charge. But she, yeah, I agree with you. She's sort of like unaffected regardless of what's going to happen. It's sort of just like, this is me. Like, and whatever these other people do, you know, I'm just here. And if they want to come by, yeah, if they don't, great. 
Okay. I like this one. Again, again, these these fresh reviews, I'm not sure that they're technically fresh reviews. This is from... Uh, Mildly spoiled, like on the, on the verge. Yeah. This is from Destin Thompson from the Washington Post. Uh, his fresh review of Life Aquatic says, hovers frustratingly somewhere between charming and only mildly amusing. Like, that's Wes Anderson. Yeah, like, yeah. That's I, actually a really good <laughs> a really good analysis of Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. And where the frustrating part comes in, you can either get frustrated by it or you can say, I'm in Wes Anderson's world. Let's go for it. Yeah. And not get frustrated by it and enjoy the ride. Yeah. All right. I found myself. It took me a, a minute when when we, uh, like we were talking earlier, it took me a minute to to get myself. It's been a long time since I've seen a Wes Anderson movie. I haven't seen Isle of Dogs yet, although I want to. Um, it took me a while to get back adjusted to that. Because like I said, at first I was kind of like, this is boring. I'm kind of bored. But then like after a little bit, it finally started to sort of rope me in a bit. All right. So I think that covers us uh, on the critic reviews. Um, uh, some of the rotten ones, I wasn't sure if they were rotten. And some of the fresh ones, I wasn't sure if they were fresh. It's like when you like open the milk in your fridge and you're smelling it and you're like mm, borderline <laughs> but i'm not gonna go out and get more so let's just drink it <laughs> <laughs> that's how yeah it's a good way to sum the critics of life aquatic are slightly possibly expired milk all right uh moving on to our next segment if there was a sequel where would you want that sequel to go I don't know that there really could be a sequel to this. I mean, you could go on another adventure with the team, I guess, like that. That maybe maybe you could put something together like that, but you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't have the same themes of the fatherhood stuff because we, you know, as we said, Ned dies, the baby's born. I mean, I guess you could maybe there could be something there with father figure, but the baby has to be named Kingsley, right? <laughs> right, I assume so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you, you, I'm sure Wes Anderson could put together another adventure for the team. But and let's let's be honest, Wes Anderson doesn't do sequels up until this point. Right. We haven't seen a sequel from right. Wes Anderson. Right. Yeah, I'm sure he could if he wanted to, but I don't know that it would really. You know, you, it's he, he creates so many worlds. I, I don't see him like creating the same world twice. I'm gonna pitch him a sequel here. <laughs> okay, do it. It's very much uh, in the. In the spirit of John Wick. Okay. So John Wick, have you seen it? I saw the first one. I haven't seen the others. Okay. So John Wick in the first one, he's there's the hotel, the Continental, right? And all of the assassins all come to the Continental. And there's this whole set of rules, this whole world built around the Continental. They have coin. They have their own currency. They have their own rules. Um, they have their own hierarchy. I'm going to pitch a Life Aquatic sequel that's very similar, that's in the theme of John Wick where everything centers around the Explorers Club. <laughs> so we've got Steve, we've got Hennessy, we've got two Explorers. But we also had, there were the whole bunch of other people in that club that were like, they were like making fun of them in the beginning or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So there's other Explorers in the club. So either um, something happens where like, you know, Steve gets double-crossed and now all the Explorers are out looking for him. 
or it's something with the pirates. Like the pirates have gotten too bad off the coast and all the explorers are going out to battle the pirates. Like I want to know more about the world of the explorers club. They're wearing medals in the beginning. Like who is giving them these medals? Like clearly there's a society here that we need to know more about. Right. So that I think Wes Anderson (laughs) would say, check job. Well done. Wes Anderson. (laughs) He would tell himself, Good job. Good job, Wes. <laughs> for coming up with this club. For yeah, coming-, coming up with this world that you want to know more about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's my that's my pitch for a okay. sequel. Fair. Moving on to our final segment that we refer to as quick nip picks. Quick quick nip nips. Quick <laughs> quick picks. Something like that. All right. Do you want to go first on our, our nip picks of the movie? No, you go first. You okay. Go first. All right. So you're uh, much better at poking holes than I am. <laughs> I I gotta ask you about this one. Uh, throughout the movie, uh, Bill Murray refers to Kate Blanchett's character as Cubby. I I didn't pick up on why. Yeah. Is that like a nickname for a reporter? Cubby. Yeah, I don't know. No, I have no idea. I don't. I don't think. I don't think he was calling her chubby <laughs> i really hope he was actually <laughs> <laughs> i i don't i have no idea what cubby means okay well speaking of kate blanchett's character knows please let us know yeah tweet at us if you know what the nickname cubby means is it slang for a journalist or something or something aquatic related perhaps Ooh, it could be a fish a type of fish yeah speaking of kate blanchett's jane uh one thing that we picked up on is that throughout the movie, she chews a lot of gum. It's a lot of gum. A lot of blown bubbles with that gum, too. Yeah. I did a little research on chewing gum for pregnant There's women. probably a scientist out there that says yes. So, uh, you know, obviously pregnant women suffer from a lot of nausea, you know, morning sickness, oh, evening sickness. And gum where you're going. contains stevia, which is directly linked to reducing the feeling of sickness. Combined with the act of chewing gum, your body can find some relief and get back to normalcy. Further helped by the taste and the smell of the gum. Interesting. Also, pregnant mothers keep undergoing repeated instances of heartburn after a meal. And by chewing on gum, the saliva production in the mouth increases, which finds its way into the stomach and helps in countering any residual stomach acid. You just convinced me. That's pretty good. That's why she was chewing gum, apparently. Yeah. And she was on a boat, which probably made her nausea even worse. So yeah. She needed... So she needed some gum. Yeah. There we go. All per- right. Perfect. Any pregnant mothers listening out there, maybe try some gum. Maybe. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, the old man who uh, asked him to sign posters for him in the beginning. When he walks away, I believe he's wearing red plaid pajama pants. Okay. I think I have those pajama pants. <laughs> I actually think I got them as a holiday present last year from Eddie Bauer, and I got to say they're really comfortable. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you got them as a present last year from Wes Anderson. I don't know if it's from Wes Anderson. It would be like a, a whole matching outfit. It wouldn't just right. be pants. It would be a true. whole right. head-to-toes outfit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that guy was wearing pajama pants. It was also, he was just sort of an odd little side thing, I guess. I don't know. Like maybe it was just supposed to emphasize. I think maybe, okay, maybe it was showing us all the 
everything that Steve has produced over the years. They were like, oh, look at all his accomplishments. Yeah, stuff. it was yeah, a very yeah. clever yeah. way to sneak yeah. in the other movies and yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if anyone's in the uh, market for new pajama pants, check out some Eddie Bauer pants. Are we going to get money for that? <laughs> Eddie Bauer pajama pants. If you want to sponsor the show, uh, we are currently accepting new sponsors. <laughs> Only the pajama pants. Not Only the the pajama. I can't endorse other things from Eddie Bauer, but I can endorse those pajama pants. So I found this interesting. Uh, Ned comes into this world already in a world of uniforms and chains of command and from being a pilot from Air Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You know, he's wearing, he's got the Air Kentucky everything. He's got the shirt, Air Kentucky branded boxers, Air Kentucky branded toiletry bag, luggage. Like, he comes to this world where everything's already branded Air Kentucky. And then it isn't until the scene where he agrees to finance Steve's movie that he's wearing the Zizu uniform. Yeah. You thought it should have happened sooner? Is that what you're saying? No, I found that interesting that he already comes from this world. Um, So I think that might that might be something they use to kind of set up is this Steve's son or not the fact that like Steve is obviously obsessed with this world of uniform you know this uniform world everybody's dressed the same everybody this chain of command being on the boat and his son ends up in a world where he's same thing he's he's in this world of uniforms in this world of chain of command and then uh Maybe it's a sign of acceptance of because he's a little hesitant. He's like, "Well, I got to be back by Thursday." Yeah, yeah. And he's a little hesitant to come with them. Now he's financing the movie. He now he's also wearing the uniform. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting character moment, switching from the Air Kentucky stuff to the uh, to the Zizu team stuff. Yeah, he fully fully bought in, literally and figuratively. Yeah. And I think that would make an awesome Halloween costume if anyone wants to do a good group costume out there. A friend of mine did it. Yeah. Well, not a group, but he did, but he went as a, a single. Oh, no. We got to get a whole group yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. You need a whole group. And then one person in Air Kentucky stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, m- most of these aren't nitpicks this week. Most of these are things I loved. Uh, but one of my favorite things is Shamu showing off in the background behind Steve while he's getting interviewed by Jane for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> like... Like the dialogue going on between them is enough, yeah. <laughs> but for some reason, the killer whale in the background is like doing a whole underwater show. Yeah. And, uh, part, and part of it, which makes it made it funny, is just like killer whales kind of have that face where they kind of look like they're always smiling. <laughs> so yeah, just look like he's just like looking through like with this big old grin on his face. <laughs> like, I'm just enjoying this. This is my moment to shine. I'm eating it up. Like sure, maybe maybe he was trying to get the article written about him. Maybe he's like the Steve Zuzu character is over the hill. I'm the real story here. Look at all I can do. Yeah. Um. <laughs> all right. So uh, in the montage where everything's going again, right? They've got Angelica Houston back on the boat. Like everything's moving. They do that montage where they're kind of panning across the boat in the different rooms, mm-hmm. and they get to Angelica Houston, who is. Uh, Klaus is working on the shot sheet. Um, everybody's getting ready for the movie, and she is looking at a bulletin board of stunt work. So I wrote down as many as I could read, <laughs> and I want to know which stunt you want to try. So we have balloon jumping, <laughs> bottle shooting, cliff jump, skydiving into a volcano, which I believe is the one she's crossing off, and zodiac speed ramp over rocks. 
Which which stunt did uh, Wes Anderson deprive us of not letting us see? <laughs> the last one, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see him jump a speedboat? Yes. Um, I <laughs> first off, where are they finding this volcano? I don't know. That's and balloon funny. jumping. I actually want to try balloon jumping. Of any of these, imagine if you like took a hot air balloon up, like oh, and uh, like like fifty feet. Oh, okay. Or something. What's something safe that you could jump? What's a safe distance to Not jump? Fifty feet. Fifty feet safe enough to jump <laughs> into water. Oh yeah, maybe into water. Yeah, yeah. into water. I'm okay. not just jumping. <laughs> <laughs> not jumping into a bale of hay here. We're clearly jumping into water. Yeah, fifty feet. I think would be safe. I think they yeah. should start doing that in like the you know in the Caribbean or something like that. It should be like an excursion. You can go balloon jumping. Again, not nitpicks. I think this week it's things I love. Steve, if you notice when he's riding his bicycle, the scene where they're training. Uh, Steve has a gun holster, not only on his leg, but he also has a gun holster on the basket of his bicycle. <laughs> I did not notice that. <laughs> I don't know. That's another That's Steve Zizu ism that like, okay, that's what that's who Steve Zizu is. Yeah. He would have a gun strapped to his bicycle. Yeah, I mean, his Wes Anderson movies are like the type of thing that if you really took your time and like paused a lot of scenes, there's so much happening. There's so many little little tiny things to notice. Um, and so and it's cool because like, you know, I, I think it it's um sort of like makes you want to watch the movie again and keep rewatching his movies because you're gonna notice all these tiny little things more and more here and there. Speaking of tiny things I loved, he lit his cigarette from the torch of the hot air balloon. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Um. Uh, yeah, I could just run down all the little things I love. Uh, Owen Wilson is wearing swim goggles in the hot tub. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's because he says he's a bad swimmer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, okay, I do have two nitpicks here at the end. Uh, number one, there we said that there was the girl who was topless like the entire time they were on the island, right? Yeah, yeah. She's also in that training scene where they're jogging on the beach. I don't think girls go jogging topless. I don't think that's like sports bras were invented for a reason. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's probably no. Our female, our female listeners can tell us that that's probably not something that girls probably do. hurts. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, my other nitpick. Now this is a big nitpick. I, I do video production uh, for a living. And in the scene where they're storming the hotel and uh, the rainstorm comes in, Vikram is out there with his camera and he's filming the whole thing and he's got no rain gear on his camera. <laughs> like that's not how it works. And I can't imagine a set of people working on a movie. These people that have, you know, work in cinema wouldn't be like, actually you would have a rain bag on that jacket because <laughs> everything in that camera would be flooded. That thing would be dead. The lens would be flooded. There's no way that camera got anything from that beach. Vikram. I don't know. I don't think he's going to make it as a camera guy. Yeah. All right. Do you have any nitpicks for this week? Not real. Nothing. You, you kind of hit on everything. And the the only thing I had, which I said earlier, was there was no like follow up about the way I interpreted Angelica Houston's comments about the possibility of Ned not being the son. Um, to again, in my mind, I was like, oh, is is Ned actually like out to do something bad to Steve? And then that never went anywhere. But maybe that's not how it was supposed to be interpreted. That was the only nitpick I would say I had. Yeah, I guess we can we can end with talking about Ned and um, 
kind of how his story wraps up. And again, spoiler, if you haven't seen it yet, here's your warning. So Ned dies in the helicopter crash, which I guess they foreshadow a little bit when he's like talking about in the earlier scene where they fly about getting the helicopter inspected. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what did you think about the choice to kill off the Ned character right at the end there and then wrap up the movie like that? I thought it was it was interesting. Um, it was more for Steve, right? So I think that it the idea behind it was that Steve didn't necessarily need to have a son. He just needed to know that he liked the idea of being a father more than he thought he did. And so it was like, it's like he, Ned just filled like a temporary purpose for Steve's sort of, um, I don't know, um, general like mental progression or mental health. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely agree with that journey of Steve's character. I always think it's weird when movies do this where they kind of introduce a character that seems like he or she has such a future in front of them and then they just wipe it away at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, And it's one thing if a character like is heading towards a tragic end, but you actually think that he's heading towards an uplifting end. Like he just got the letter from uh, Jane and, uh, you know, things seem so positive and such a good direction for him. And they just wipe it away (laughs) and yeah because you get the feeling that before he dies you get the feeling they're like oh he's probably gonna just be like the uh stepfather for jane's kid like that's probably you know they'll end up in a relationship together yeah there was an ending for him there right that made sense right so so yeah i do think that the it what it communicated was that like this story was not about ned the story was about steve and just Ned was a contributor to Steve's story. In that journey. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There you go. All right. So now we have to decide once and for all, because there are no nah, movies allowed. Is this a good movie or is this a bad movie? I'm going to say that this was a good movie. I would say it's not, it wouldn't rank in my top three Wes Anderson movies. Uh, there's definitely Wes Anderson movies I would pick before this. But I think it's a good movie and it executes what Wes Anderson does. It has all the Wes, it's very, it has all the Andersonian key, key features. Um, and I think maybe it moves a little like s- slower or is maybe not as comical as some of his other movies, but it's still entertaining. It still has all the features I enjoy about Wes Anderson movies, the colors. Um, the staging not my favorite Wes Anderson movie but definitely a good movie and worth watching how about you I'm gonna agree this is a good movie nice uh remember if you're gonna sit down to watch the life aquatic you're not going to sit down to watch a Bill Murray movie you're sitting down to watch a Wes Anderson movie right uh featuring a Bill Murray very much transitioning in his career uh, go in with that frame of reference, go in with that frame of mind. Cause that's what I did when I sat down to watch it this time. And I really enjoyed it. I was going in expecting something artfully done. I was going in expecting something beautifully crafted and, and that's what we got. Um, it's a good, uh, send up. I don't know a lot about Jacques Cousteau. I, I'm not a big oceanography fan myself, but I think it's a good send up to Jacques Cousteau and oceanography and explorers, um, I think the characters are, 
I think the characters are enjoyable. And I, and yes, Steve Zizou might be a little bit grating, a little bit egotistical, a little bit narcissistic, but the other characters around him, I think play so well off of that. Like the reactions to him are so great from some of the other crew members that I think it's a really charming ensemble. And I think people should give this movie a chance. Sounds good. So there we go. Yeah. That is our review of The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Now, coming up next week, we've got another movie coming for you that's themed around something being released in theaters. Uh, Next week, Detective Pikachu is coming out in theaters. So we are going to do another detective movie. We're going to do another detective sort of mystery movie. That does it for The Life Aquatic and our review of it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcasting app you are listening to us on. You can follow us on Twitter at NoMehMovies, and you can also leave us a message using the Anchor app. Let us know what you thought of the movie or ask us a question about the movie. We plan on collecting our favorite responses and doing a listener mailbag episode in the future. It should be a lot of fun. Thanks, everyone, for supporting the show. And the next time your friends ask about a movie, take a stance and tell them if the movie is good or bad. Because on this show, there are no meh movies. Cubby Lures? Is it a brand? That would be a deep cut to throw into a movie. Like one person who watched this movie got that. (laughs) When Wes Anderson fishes, he only uses cubby lures.